Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Legendarium Podcast. Make sure you take a minute to subscribe to us on iTunes and now on Stitcher Radio. Like us on Facebook and check out our fantastic website at thelegendariumpodcast.com. Welcome to the Legendarium. This week, the four of us are discussing sections one through three of book two of the Mistborn series, The Well of Ascension. We'll be talking about the politics, the intrigue, the mystery, and Ken's favorite part, the relationships. Welcome, Ryan. Stop trying to rewrite our theme song every time. <laughs> and it's always bad. It's always so, so It starts good. out with a Star Wars feel to it, like you're getting ready to do Star Wars or Indiana Jones. It's like, I'm channeling my inner John Williams, but when he was like seven. That, <laughs> that felt like he was trying to do the theme song to Chips. Well, whatever. <laughs> Ooh, it did. It did. Nice 80s reference. Yeah. I'm so glad you guys are all here. Oh, no, wait. Scratch that. I hate you. I hate you. Um, Why am I here? All right. So welcome, everybody. Welcome back to the Legendarium and welcome back to the Mistborn series. It has been three freaking weeks oh. since our last Mistborn discussion. Um and uh, not that we haven't had good stuff to talk about. In the meantime, we had a great episode last week uh, mm-hmm. with uh, Dr. Matt Woolley. If you haven't listened to it, go listen to it promptly. After you finish this episode, right? uh, Well, I mean, I don't know. Whatever. You can listen to that episode first. Just That's listen to both. I don't care. Spoilers. Um, so, I guess, since you guys have been talking this whole time, let's just go ahead and introduce our panel. Um, on my right, hide your kids, hide your wife. Because it's Ken Johnson. I would like to personally thank Marsh for replacing eye bleach with <laughs> with spikes through my eyes for things that I wish I could unsee. All right. Across, sitting across from me, he's as white as the stuff in an Oreo, but only 34% is delicious. It's Todd Wenty. And I'm not a snitch. What? <laughs> Name the movie. I will not. On my left, what's that smell? It's like a summer meadow. No, wait, it's just the natural body odor of Ryan Bruckman. I work hard for that, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And I once spent a year in solitude just to better understand the inner workings of my own gastrointestinal system. I'm Craig Hanks. He still hasn't understood the inner workings of his gastrointestinal system. It's been longer. (laughs) Anyway, welcome back, you guys. We are at full force, ready to talk about the Well of Ascension. Uh, But before we get there, let's do a little housekeeping. Um... First of all, I want to thank our listeners for listening. Yeah. It's been really great. We've had a, a much growing audience uh, over the last six to eight months. It's been a ton of fun to watch those numbers grow, and we're very grateful to all of you for tuning in and hope that, uh, you know, hope that you enjoy it as much as we enjoy putting it out and hope that you share it with your friends. Um, by the way, you guys, we have international listenership now. Did you no know way. Wait. Yeah. So I can track where people are tuning in awesome, um, and then turn on their webcam and like watch them listen. No, I'm just kidding. I can't That's do that. kind of an invasion of privacy. <laughs> you are in no ways remarkably creepy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so our biggest international listenership is in Britain. Very uh, cool. Followed by New Zealand and the Netherlands. Go figure. Really? The Netherlands. So whoever you are uh, in the Netherlands, hi. 
We're huge to the Dutch. Whatever, whatever the appropriate greeting would be. Germany. I'm just, I'm waiting for the day that we can say that we're big in Japan. Because yeah, exactly. it's gonna be, it's, it's that's gotta, never going to get old. It's going to happen. Um, also, by the way, so we're a Utah-based podcast. We, we're broadcasting out of Salt Lake City. But uh, of note in the U.S., Wisconsin and California. Big listenerships in Wisconsin and California. Well, I don't really know anybody in Wisconsin, well, and I, know, I try very hard to know few people in California. I have a few oh. friends out there in Wisconsin. Area, oh, that, so that would might explain go. it. You must right. be really flinging the cheese. They, they are cheese I don't sets, even yeah. want to know what that means. Um, so, <laughs> uh, upcoming material. Stuff that uh, if people are listening and they want to follow along with us, this is stuff that you will need to keep up with. Um, obviously, book three of Mistborn, The Hero of Ages. Uh, make sure that you're reading that over the next month or so, and we'll be talking about that. Star Wars Rebels, I know we've mentioned this already. Um, go watch Star Wars Rebels however you need to. As soon as the podcast is over. Yes, it's uh, it, the first episode was magnificent, I thought. Um, but we'll get there. We will get there. Uh, we will be having a discussion next month on the women of the Lord of the Rings, uh, which I'm very much looking forward to. Uh, because I was going to say, am I going to be part of this discussion, or or do I need to be in the room at all? <laughs> I, I think you will. <laughs> I'm sorry, did you say the woman of the Lord of the Rings? I uh, did not. <laughs> uh, oh, and then the last thing. I, this is not on our schedule yet, but um, it's something that you might prepare for. Go watch Harvey. Uh, this was the play that Ryan and Todd and I were involved with. Todd directed, Ryan was the lead, and I was the button pusher. Uh, up in the booth, and I literally pushed pusher one. He was. I pushed one button, <laughs> and um, I clapped. Anyway, no, but it's a it's a fantastic play. It was written back in 1940, and then there was an adaptation starring Jimmy Stewart. That's correct. Uh, in 1950, and so you can go rent that on Google Play for 2.99, I think. Mm. So sounds about right. Um, it's 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 a great adaptation. If you don't have a chance to go see a stage version of it, um, but I, I I think that. We should talk about that on the podcast. Um, so I'm planning on it, whether you guys are not are or not. So, yeah, what do you guys think? I like the idea. Yeah. I'm kind of interested in the idea of making Craig do a monologue podcast. Where oh, he yeah, <laughs> you know it would be magnificent. Uh, I think our listenership would drop. <laughs> you guys are you guys are mean. You're mean people. Wait a minute. This from the guy who insults us at the beginning of every episode? Uh, not Ryan. He smells like a meadow. <laughs> Not mm-hmm. you. <laughs> Although you are 34% as delicious as in Oreo. I'll take so. 34%. Perhaps I have a thing against Meadows. It's entirely possible. <laughs> Apparently, I'm just a creeper. So, um, you guys want a few listener notes? Yes, please. So, um, yeah, we got a few notes back from people when we were talking about uh, Mistborn. Um, this was, okay, you remember Jeff, he won the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, he sent us a little note. Uh, he says, I had to laugh when Todd subtly hypothesized that Brandon Sanderson may have lived for a couple of years, quote unquote, <laughs> abroad while discussing Brandon Sanderson's possible French connection, because I had a similar thought after reading the follow- following passage on Wikipedia. All right. So here's the passage. Are you guys ready? Tell me if this sounds familiar. According to North Korean documents and refugee testimonies, all North Koreans are sorted into groups according to their songbun an ascribed status system based on their own behavior and the political, social, and economic background of their family for three generations, as well as behavior by relatives within that range, Songbun is allegedly used to determine whether an individual is trusted with responsibility, given opportunities, or even receives adequate food. Sound familiar? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
<laughs> so there are three main classifications and about 50 subclassifications, blah, 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 et cetera, wow. et cetera. There's a, the loyal core class, the wavering class, and the hostile class. You don't know a thing about Scott. Right? right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, he says, he goes on, uh, this led me to, to wonder if Sanderson had spent a couple of years, quote unquote, not in France, but South Korea, a fact confirmed by the biography section of his website. This begs the question, is Sanderson's Lord Ruler and subsequent social system based on North Korea's great leader? If so, what inexplicable evil is his great-grandson, or his crazy grandson, Kim Jong-un, protecting us from with his cache of nuclear weapons? (laughs) And finally, is Dennis Rodman a misborn? Oh! (laughs) Heaven help us all. So, yeah, confirmed. Brandon Sanderson was a a Mormon missionary in South Korea. Judging judging by all those earrings, nose rings, eye rings, and stuff, I would say uh, more likely a Farukamist. Well, whatever. You might be something like that. Uh, I'll take it. Something. I like that. A Farukamist. Uh, so anyway, um, yeah, I, th- I thought that was a fantastic little note. So thanks for doing our research for us. Jeff. Yeah. We appreciate that. Cause, uh, heaven knows. Cause obviously none of us have time to do it. We're all so busy reading this porn. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other note that I got, I, I was asking people, give me one line about, you know, what is, what is the well, ascent, well of Ascension about? And here's the best one. The well of Ascension is a lot about trying to do the right thing with politics and relationships and trust. I thought that was a pretty like good that. summation, like especially that. so far. I mean, we haven't we're not talking about the end of the book yet. You guys haven't finished it yet. But so far I'd say that's a pretty decent little summation, right? And and I would and I would say that that's one of the big reasons I at least for me that the book um it rings resonates so much. Um because that's I think what the core of life is all about. Mm. I, I love I love the word trust in there. I, mm-hmm. I might add in a time of great turmoil. There is that. Oh, my. <laughs> There's plenty of that. In fact, I've got my synopsis ready to go, and then I can shut up. Okay, you guys ready for my three-paragraph synopsis? Three paragraphs? Wow. Yep. All right. So, sections one through three of The Well of Ascension. We pick up after the death of the Lord Ruler at the hands of Vin. Now, things have really hit the fan. El Adventure, Vin's sloppy man-boy love, has set himself up as king... And he has succeeded, more or less, at keeping Luthadel and the rest of the central dominance from descending into chaos. In fact, he set up a form of parliamentary government with him at the head in a system that would look very familiar to anyone in today's Western world. But what he thought was an American-style revolution turned out to be a bit Frenchier than he'd imagined, (laughs) with the rest of the final empire falling into chaos and turning on each other. So, we open the book with a standoff between Ellen's forces in the city and two superior but opposed enemy armies outside the walls. Did I say two? Sorry, I meant three. We discover in section two that one of Ellen's old high school buddies is leading an army of the feared and fearsome Coloss to Luthadel. In the midst of all this, Sazed travels with the ever-weirder and still a steel inquisitor, Marsh, to the home base of the Inquisitors where he discovers the ancient writings of Quan, the old advisor to the man who maybe should have become the Lord Ruler a thousand years ago. Vin is hunting for a spy in Ellen's inner circle, a second Chandra, <gasps> a second Chandra, uh, and she's starting to mistrust the mists on account of the rather ominous mist wraith that may or may not be out to stab her. Uh, she's also wondering about the new mist born in her life, Zane, the bastard son of Ellen's father, who makes Vin wonder if she's really in the Spoiler. right place with the right people. Oh, he's also bat poop crazy. <laughs> Meanwhile, sloppy man-boy King Ellen is getting tutoring lessons from Tindwell, a Terra's woman steward who is there to simultaneously whip Ellen into kingly shape and make Sazed the eunuch wish he weren't quite so eunuchy. 
Anyway, section three ends with Ellen's decision to set up a decent government. Uh, it ends with Ellen's decision to set up a decent government, come back to bite him in the butt as his assembly votes to depose him as king. Whatever shall they do now? Dun, dun, dun. I like it. There we go. Very nicely done. You should you should write uh, summaries for Wikipedia. I, I, I would be so. afeared for the world if Craig got on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> I really feel like there's nothing more to add. We'll talk to you all later. Yeah, oh, peace. Oh, wow. Really? Oh, no. Okay. We're oh, no. going. We have many. <laughs> so, yeah, let's uh, let's get started. What do you say we uh, go um, clockwise this time? Ryan, do you want to give us our start? Well, what, you mentioned, your note? You mentioned briefly. The first thing I want to talk about, I want to get uh, perhaps some feedback from our two newer gentlemen. What are your thoughts and feelings regarding this mysterious mist wraith image thing that keeps appearing? I love it. I like the I like the suspense. I like the fact that there that uh, Brandon Sanderson isn't giving a lot of detail on what's going on, and he keeps it very mysterious, very uh, very spooky. Um, I'm 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 anxious for more clarity so i guess i guess that's a nice way to say it yeah so would you classify in the beginning vin has felt and kelsey or felt that the mist was always the mistborn's home it was very welcoming would you dare say that it is it do you feel that it might be an enemy or do you feel that it's just a misunderstanding or or what do you feel might be uh, coming down the road a little ways with the mist i think i i, I think it's unpredictable and I think it's unstable, and the closest thing to stability that you get come from, or the closest thing that that people come to stability comes from those mistborn. They're the ones who are most able to live within the instability, and so I'm I'm excited to see. I mean, I was excited to see how just the the impression of the mist wraith unnerved Vin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and all of a sudden this place where she found that was a home and that she was safe and that she could control and that she felt comfortable in and that once all, helped her take once, down the Lord Ruler and once helped her is now something that she's unnerved by and and now she is now she actually has a little bit of fear back and I'm I'm excited to see how she reconciles that I'm I'm very excited about the instability in the mist the thing that keeps that I keep coming back to um is that as with all things in in Brandon Sanderson's world that there are two sides to each to each push there's a push and a pull there's a there's a soothe and there's a riot um I've always kind of seen the mist and the and the ash as being the the two sides of this of this interesting situation and I kind of am wondering if the lord ruler and and I know that this is going to be one of those things where you're going to say, yeah, wait until book three. But this is what this is what keeps coming up to my mind is that when the Lord Ruler dispatched the deepness, the deepness um, shattered and maybe became the beginnings of what is both mist and ash. And that now that the Lord Ruler is gone, this mist wraith is the uh, is possibly the embodiment of the deepness coming back to um, and and also an indication that the mists are coming. Uh, more frequently, they're coming during the day. They're, uh, the ash is falling a little bit more more significantly. There's more ash fall. Um, I, I have this feeling that what we're going to see is, if it were me, it seems like this is going to be where these things come together and we find out that they are, in fact, connected to the deepness in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, this is why I love these books so much. Because <laughs> you might be right and you might be wrong, 
but he's done a wonderful job of making something work yeah you can make all these connections and it really makes you think uh it it doesn't just make you read to the end of the book to to make him make all the connections he will you know but you get to have a lot of fun along the way making your own little connections and wondering about what's going on some authors i think we talked about this in our little preview or maybe the first um the first episode of the first book um he trusts his readers uh, and and he expects his readers to trust him back, right? And so part of that is is this thing where he'll he'll give you pieces of information and let you have fun with it. Um, he's not going to distrust you so much that uh, he doesn't spoon feed. Yeah, he doesn't ever. And and that's one of the things that is both um, infuriating uh, a little bit about his writing style. Um, is that that there are times that I really want to be to to have a little bit easier time being given information, but he just doesn't. He he resists that, and it makes it beautiful. It does it does make for some long reading, but it makes it some really wonderful mm-hmm. and fun reading at the same time. Yeah, it is long reading as, as I'm reading this again. It, yeah, it's very long, but it's it's thick. Yeah, um, Ryan, did you have any, anything to say on your own point? We can move on to the next. There, I just think that. There is actually the second to the read through. There's a number of things that I've caught on to knowing what's going to come down mm-hmm. the road that all of a sudden I'm like all the way back here. You're placing the seeds of or you're explaining how something works all the way back a ways. Oh, yeah. I'll bring it up another question on one of my other points. And that one, one I, of your one of your other points. Is that what you said? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think I don't <laughs> think way, Ryan got say, enough sleep again today. I, I can't wait. I we won't uh, any of us be alive to see it, but I can't wait till the word another becomes a word. Ooh, it yeah, will. There. Mark my words. <laughs> words. Todd, go. Um what I, one of the things that I've really been enjoying in in this portion of the book as I've been reading through is how much detail he's giving to the characters. Um, I'm very much a character mm-hmm. person, as you've seen now some of my some of my work in other areas, and so you can probably relate to that. Um, I'm all about character development, and and in the first book there was not a lot of character development for anybody beyond Kelsier. Uh, Kelsier gets some, Vin gets a little, but not a lot. Uh, Ellen gets zero. Um, but now we're starting to see, and and I think in part because he's using that as as a tool with the Chandra. Um, being able to go through and, and observe the characters and observe what's, what he's looking for to, to show Vin seeking for contradictions and issues. But, but the, the way that he's approaching um, describing characters and the, and the characterization of all these people is just fun. One of the, uh, one of the things that I highlighted uh, was on page 151. Um, where he's going through and he's, he's it's, it's a part before Tindwell comes in and starts coaching him on how to be a king. Uh, and he's looking at the group and the, the quote is great. Ellen thought I filled my inner council with a bunch of thrill seeking masochists. Even worse, I've decided to join them. (laughs) (laughs) And I found myself saying, yep, sounds like a group of people I'd hang out with. But, but that's, it's, it's very much about, uh, he's very much spending this book, at least these, these first three sections of this book about developing these characters and giving them some depth, um, some dimension and some some pieces. We see that with Breeze when uh, when what's her bucket Alarion it shows up. Um, his his tremendous discomfort that something has gone not quite <laughs> the way he planned. Oh, and I I speaking of characters, I love Breeze. Uh, I mentioned this in the, during the first book, but the the development that he gets uh, it, with with so many of these characters, there's two sides of the character warring. 
with each other. You know, with Breeze, it's much more, no, he has one side, but that one side is really quite nuanced. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, he, you know, so it's, he's a, so much different than the rest of the characters. And I love the part where Vin reaches out with her um, bronze to feel what he's doing. And, yes. and she can, yes. she can sense him uh, manipulating the emotions of Ellen to make him more more bold, more comfortable, uh, more with, confident. with more confident yes. with his decisions, um, but at the same time, he's still you know he's being a sarcastic jackass, and you in know, order to do it, in, in order to accomplish it, yeah, right. It's uh, yeah, it's wonderful. The other thing that was interesting is that um, a lot of times um, authors spend an awful lot of their time doing character development for for the protagonists, um, but Brandon Sanderson is spending uh, at least at least some of his time making sure his antagonists receive um some good character development that the first time that we that we really get to see inside zane's head oh my goodness and as he's as he's walking past people god said kill him i'm just like oh my gosh this is really fun um (laughs) you're sick man i i well and i i i was reading that right before i was going into motab audition um so that was kind of bizarre (laughs) <laughs> that was to everyone who's now deaf. <laughs> you can thank Ken. I apologize. <laughs> but it's it's oh, I, I yeah. It's very much a it's it's very much a a, a wonderful it it feels like a maturing book for him mm. for Brandon Sanderson from a writing standpoint. His first one was about setting the hook. It was about it was about throwing out the bait, setting the hook, making sure there was enough action that he that he understood how to work with this action and now that he's got the action piece in place. Now he's starting to play with the characters and make us fall in love with these people and believe that these people and recognize these people in our daily lives. Ken, I uh, to to bounce off of the character development, I really love how he's developing the relationships between the characters. And this is something that is typically something that I, I, I don't care for in, in books, especially the love story element that is inevitable in every book because it just feels forced and it feels contrived and it, it's always there. And I, I'm just, I don't care how the protagonist is feeling about the love interest and all that, but he does such a great job in Ellen and and Vin's uh, specific instance of of showing the push and the pull between the two of them and the insecurity between the two of them and what really makes mm-hmm. them tick and and I find myself not hating it, which in my case is a high praise for liking it, but <laughs> but it's not it's not just that I, I love seeing the relationship between Zane and Vin you know I like seeing the relationship between Ellen and and the crew. Between Straff and and Ellen, I, he does such a good job of of showing how these relationships are developing, and and what they really mean. I, I love seeing his his depiction of it. Isn't it remarkable that that he can make a book that is so wide ranging? There's so many issues and so many relationships going on, but there's enough room, being a, a rather large book, for him to really delve into the very personal stuff. I, I like that a lot. My as my well. favorite relationship to watch develop, by the way, is the relationship between Vin and Ors Orser. That's been oh, that's been really interesting to, I to, love to watch. That development. Um, uh, just watching them have their little heart to hearts and stuff and see them actually come around to each other. I and, and how she treats him like a person, not like a monster. And she treats him more like a person after he's a dog. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. 
I hadn't even thought of that. Very it, nice. It's it's a really it's a really interesting. I mean, I don't know. No, if well, because she was grossed out by him eating human bones, especially and, by him eating Kelsier. Right. Yeah. But then when he eats a dog, then that's okay. Right. And now all of a sudden he, he's a trusted ally. Yeah. Very really very very interesting kind of a process. I I love uh, Ken. I, I'm glad you bring that up. I I really like the dynamic of Ellen and Vin and Vin and Zane because. We get this is something that we don't often get. Uh, so often the story is about getting the two protagonists mm-hmm. together. Well, he's done that at the end of the first book. They're together. Yeah. Now it's about are they going to stay together, or you know, are they going to choose to stay together? Is she going to give up on that now that she's found this Zane who maybe is a little bit more relatable to her? And I, I think this rings very true to, well, all four of us are married dudes, you know, and we all know people who are in situations where you make a conscious choice to stick with somebody. And then, you know, you don't stop meeting people. You live your life, you meet people, and you go, wow, that person is really great. You know, he and I or she and I are very compatible. Well, yeah, you might be in another life, but you've made the decision at this point to stick with one person and you know and nothing should change that and so it's very interesting to see her thought process as she works through that it's it's interesting to me especially with the the reader that kind of gave that one line uh that trust is a big mm-hmm. part of this um i think that i think that brandon sanderson um and 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 maybe part of the reason that i think this way is because um i know that he has certain types of of attitudes and and proclivities toward uh, toward what uh, marriage relationships are are about, but I think the marriage relationship in, in the way that he's portraying it, or the or the relationship, the, the decision part, mm-hmm. is as much about integrity as it is about compatibility. And it's interesting; it's fun to watch how Vin deals with this issue, um, and as and as she grows, and we all grow when we deal with this kind of an issue. Um, that it's a, that's a, that's a major part of life. We, we deal with this idea of integrity of staying with what, with what we've made our decision for. Yeah. I love, by the way, the way, uh, going back from the, the philosophical and, and the analysis part, I love the way he writes the, the love triangle. I'm, I'm going to yeah. call it that. I mean, even though there's not technically a love triangle yet, I say yet because I expect it's coming. But anyway. Um, wait until the third book. Wait until book three. <laughs> <laughs> you, guys, you guys are weirdos. But I, I love the way he writes it. And maybe I have just, uh, thanks to my wife, written read too many of those angsty girl fan fiction nonsense books like Divergent and stuff. Fifty where, Shades. Oh, yeah, we know. Okay. Yeah, Fifty Shades. That sh- What's that Sparks sh- guy name? Jeez. <laughs> oh my gosh, but I just where where every book he ever writes standing or, in the rain kissing. Or the Hunger Games or where you're inside the girl protagonist's head and oh does she love this person? Does she love that and all the whiny crap. He writes Wow. Oh I I can feel the testosterone radiating from the right side of the room. Brandon <laughs> Sanderson does a great job of writing an analytical piece of, of love <laughs> triangle ship i don't know how to call it I, um, so you're saying a masculine female there oh you go. my gosh there it you is go. it is refreshing from what you get in a lot of today's modern fiction you know it, I, I would say his um his treatment of vin is not masculine you know he or i, I should say vin as a character is not masculinized 
But yeah, I can see what you're saying. No, Ken, she's, where she's the, very feminine. The the yes, writing, the story is is approached from a traditionally masculine point of view. I, I guess. would not ever say Vin is feminine. What well, she's more? She's fe- not masculine. She's more feminine. She's she had to learn to be a lady. Yes. I, 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 and in I, the last yeah, book, yeah, I think it's it's not so much about femininity as it is about an acknowledgement that she has that that she is incomplete on herself. And that she has found someone who who helps fill that incompleteness, mm-hmm. and I think uh, because I, because you wouldn't say that Ellen is necessarily terribly masculine when we first meet him either. Or now, um, well, up to this point, no. He, although he started playing with the more masculine aspects of of culture, yeah, um, with the sword fighting and uh, learning to dress and act as a king, decisive, the kinds of things that we would typically say are masculine traits. And I like how the terrorist woman's bringing that out of him. That's, that's a great... It's, it's been fun to watch yeah. Tindwell um, as, a, as a character um, and, and the influence that... Um, and, and I think it's been fun to see also that the mentors for both Vin and uh, Ellen... Were of the opposite sex. Are opposite gender. Yeah. 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 Um, which, which I think is, um, you know, and if we, if we, if we look at, if we look at how those kinds of things work, it's a very beneficial thing for them to begin to understand and to be counseled and guided by someone who can, who can approach all of the aspects, who can, who can help fill those emptinesses. I will say this last thing on the, on the writing. <laughs> Craig's face. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> the reason I think that it is better. We are not inside the protagonist's head. Third person narrative. That's why. That's why it works. We're not in. There's there. a lot of first person going yeah. around nowadays. Yeah. yeah. There's. It's a very omniscient. Uh, it's an omniscient narrator. Yep. And yeah. that's that's fun. Sorry. Now we can move on. Uh, Ryan, what's your next thing? Did you not have one? I kind of worked mine in there. Oh, got so, it. I'm fine. Well, I actually, uh, you hit on one of them earlier. Uh, the Condra. I want to bring them up because they're definitely playing a bigger role in this in this book than they were before, at least a more visible role, we should say. We understand what they do and who they are now more so. Yeah. Um, first things first, the scene where she decides on Orisur's body is fantastically hilarious. <laughs> when, oh, the dog? <laughs> when she punches she the punch dog. <laughs> I want that dog. I couldn't sell you that dog. It's, it's too big. It wouldn't be irresponsible <laughs> of me to do that. She just walks and punches. Poof. Sorry about this. <laughs> Bam! I was just like, that's a good scene. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> I, I, rem- I as I read that scene, I went, "What?" And I had to go back and read it again. <laughs> yep, that's exactly what happened. But I, I absolutely love the character of Orisur and and the Condor in general in, uh, in in the story, and the purpose that they serve, especially because Vin needs someone at her side that isn't a love interest, and isn't necessarily a mentor. She can't have she can't have those anymore. Kelsier's gone. She has a, an adversary, a kind of a, an odd adversary in Zane. She has Ellen, her love interest, but she has nobody else. And the only person left that she has that's always with her. She used to have Sazed, right? Yeah, she used to have Sazed, but even he's now busy helping Ellen, and he's yeah. working with everyone else. So she needs someone as a little sidekick to work with her to help her learn the lesson she needs to learn, and it has to be someone she doesn't like at first. And I think that that's been fantastic with uh, Orser. And I don't think she likes anybody at first. Not really. And, that's her, and that's her way. I mean, taught to not trust. Yeah. But it's, I think. It, but isn't that an interesting piece of her development where she used to not be able to and not want to get over that? 
I don't like you, and that's it. I don't like you. I'm out of here. And then she was shown in Kelsier's crew that there's another and a better way, and now she's applying those lessons with this Chandra, right? I don't like you. Now I can kind of respect you. Well, now I kind of like you a little bit. Mm-hmm. Anyway, sorry, right. I, I cut you off. It's also interesting where we look at Vin's reaction to him, but his reaction to to being made to be a dog. Mm, yeah. I mean, and I, I'm also interested to hear your thoughts on the contract. I think the contract the all, is very the interesting. The all-binding contract that they have to live by. Yeah, I'm... I'm the 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 indications of the the indications of the contract. I mean, I'm I'm far enough now that I haven't. I, I don't know if they're giving more information about the contract in the third book. All I keep hearing is the contract, the contract, the contract, the contract, and I'm like, who signed it? Well, the contract is definitely very interesting, and we will discover more about it and wait until book three. Yep, right. That's kind of um, what I was expecting. But you know so much stuff has been wait until book three but how satisfying is it still you know even though you know you have to wait because think about things like the coloss you Mm -hmm. you heard about the coloss all the way through book one and you know there's always this threat of well the lord ruler's gonna go grab his coloss and destroy us all and you never meet them until you know uh, what a third way through book book too yeah you know? they were gross um anyway yeah what that's a fascinating fantastic visual that is i want to yeah. know what how does he come up with that in his brain like these these giant beast things that are grown apparently or are born apparently with a finite amount of skin and they just have to grow into it and then grow and past then they it die. and then they die yeah it's, gross. it's just fascinating so anyway should we move to todd's point ryan are you done you good okay todd go Politics. Politics. He dun, has dun, done dun. a magnificent job of not just and and you know as we talked as we talked earlier there's there's some really interesting um, comparisons to to certain types of political structures that are put in place but he's using book two to do a lot of uh, and and when I say he I mean Brandon Sanderson is using book two to explore political theory um, the nature of politics the nature of leverage within uh within relationships there's this one mode um again i go back to one of the one of the things that i highlighted um uh it was tindwell talking to ellen when she first comes in and she says um a man can only lead when others accept him as their leader and he has only as much authority as his subjects give to him okay yeah let's see i remember reading that in the social contract uh in the writings of adam smith and of and and of others um, but then she comes along and she says, all of the brilliant ideas in the world cannot save your kingdom if no one will listen to them. Oh, yeah. And Isn't I, that the best? And I find myself, I, as, I, as, I, as I thought about that, I, I thought about how interesting it is um, in contrast of our own political system that we currently exist in. We have a lot of people saying a lot of things, and there's a lot of people listening to a lot of ideas. Few of them are great ideas. Here we have an individual who has the exact opposite problem. We have not very many people saying very much, and even the ones who are saying it cannot be listened to because of all of the political static that exists in the environment. You know, in our in our world today, we've got you know the the, the twenty four hour news cycle and um, sound bites and and. We reduce um, very complicated problems, or there is a tendency, let me rephrase that, there is a tendency among 
um, those who need to drive ratings and drive listenership and viewership to reduce very complicated problems down to very inflammatory sound bites. Um, and, and it's politics, um, whether they are local or national, regional, international, even, even relationship politics are much more difficult than the sound bites that we often give, uh, that we often ascribe to them. And I, I found it very interesting that, that a big piece of this, she's, she's stressing to Ellen, he needs to be listened to. Um, and that that piece of the political piece of the political puzzle is something that he was missing for one reason. I think we in our day are missing it for another. There's a sort of um, dichotomy set up between uh, idealism and pragmatism, where you know Elland is is a thorough, thorough idealist. He has his ideas. He wants to stick to them because he believes so strongly that this is the right thing to do. And like you say, Tyndall says, well, it might be the right thing to do, but if you never get to do it. If you can't implement these ideas, they mean nothing, right? And, and so there's that there's that pragmatic two. thing. Well, yeah, but you got to do what works, right? If it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. And uh, and I, just like you say, I think um, sometimes we have the opposite problem. We are, uh, you know, in our day and age, we're so thoroughly pragmatic about things. There are very few idealists left who get to even you know even play around with their ideas. And the ones that we do have, unfortunately. Um and, and uh, I was going to say they pander. Yeah. Uh, they they pander to the extremes of constituencies. Um, I've I've um, not that I've not that I've not that I've studied any of of our of the statesmen throughout history. But but every time I study a statesman, um, what I find is an individual who is unwilling to pander to uh, the extremes of constituency. He's and and generally finds himself rapidly. Uh, in an unenviable position, out of office. Whenever we start talking about politics, I see Ryan just, you know, kind of, he starts to lull to one side, and <laughs> I'm out of this. Um, but so it's I, on both sides of the aisle. I better. I, so I'm going to skip Ken and get my political point out of the way. <laughs> it's not about politics; it's about the system. Actually, so this one. It, all we right. just need to put a warning, a, a section before we go into politics for anybody, so they can know like this is a ten-minute segment. Jump to this because I have to admit I've spoken to a couple of people and they're like, "It's great," but uh, there's a couple moments where I get a little bored, and it's usually political talk. But there are some people who love it. A little politics bu- a buzzer, politics warning, <laughs> politics warning, everyone. <laughs> is this like a trigger warning? You heard this new thing? More of a surgeon general warning, on it. more of an air raid this, siren. Does that make you the surgeon general? Apparently, yes. Um, all right, so I'll I'll do this one quickly then because this is I mean it's important to the whole point of the book. Uh, but one of my great frustrations, uh, because I'm you know I'm politically active, I'd say. Um, one of my great frustrations is with revolutionaries in, in our real world. Revolutionaries. They're all about, uh, well, you know, they're on the left, they're on the right. It doesn't matter. We have revolutionaries all over the place. They want to overthrow the man, the system, the government, Wall Street, whatever. Take your pick. Um, but very seldom do you hear anything about what would replace those things that they want to overthrow. People don't seem to think that far. And this, this problem, I would say it's a problem. This problem is reflected very often in our uh, pop culture. So our books, our movies, our TV shows, our video games, whatever you want to to take. It's, yeah, so book one, you overthrow the Lord Ruler, he's dead, 
And that's, you know, think Return of the Jedi. We're all done now, you know? Yeah. Woohoo! And Celebrate. now what? And exactly. So now what? And this is what, you know, as a broad stroke makes this book so great to me is, is he says, okay, now what? And, and then he spends two the books what? answering that now what? Um, and I, so... I'm sorry. I, I hope I didn't get too political for Ryan. I don't want you to leave. I, I don't want. I don't want you to think that I don't enjoy talking politics or anything. But to me, the entirety of this book and politics here is this: it's what you talked about right there. Understanding what comes next when something is gone, mm-hmm. and understanding and taking the time to do it. And he does a masterful job in taking the time for you to understand enough about what's going on in there to understand why it is so shaky and why things have to be the way they are. And I have to say. My opinion is very much like Vin's, which we have not gotten to yet in the reading. So I can't wait. <sighs> Read the second half of the book. I know, oh. I know, I know, I know. Or Read, is it book three? I don't know. It's, the, it's the, the end of book two. It is at the very end of book two that she kind of <laughs> finally has her moment with it. And Here's with her and take explains, on politics. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Here's okay. my extent of the political talking. Section three was so boring. Oh, I feel so bad for you. Yeah. That's... It's not boring. It's important, but it is a hard thing to read through because it's not... Because it's not action. Well, you, yeah. It is just talking. But it is important. It, it is, is important to understand. It is important. And it, I, I will... I have to go back and amend a little bit. It, it was very compelling, you know, to see all of the interactions and everything. And I, I really enjoy it. And again, Brandon Sanderson is a master at interaction. Yeah. But I just... I was like... I was literally falling asleep. Do you guys remember the, I believe that. the three yeah. the three tiers of fantasy that we were talking about a few mm-hmm. weeks ago? Mm-hmm. If you know, if we were to read three six hundred page books that had nothing but Ken's level one action stuff, <laughs> it would it just wouldn't be worth what I think this book is worth. I've it's done true. that, and the books that, and, the, and the three books that I read that did that are not on any shelves anywhere. I can't even find them in the library anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's, they came out, they made the author some money, and they're gone. So, is the level one actiony, you know, escapist fantasy fun stuff? Absolutely, good? absolutely. It's so much fun to, yeah. to read. But if you're not even trying to get into that level two, that's okay. But don't make me sit through 600 pages of it. You know, yeah, right. give me a give me a two hour Pacific Rim and call it good. You know. Well, and I and, and this is where this is where uh, you know I come back to Brandon Sanderson's skill as a writer. He he chose he he very clearly chose to spend time on this in such a way that it was that it had to be done and rather than sprinkle it through the entire books he takes a block and he says okay we're going to address this now and we're going to use this as a backdrop around some other things because i'm sure that there are that that what happens here has ramifications because he's very good about the consequences he does not and and i love this with with Alamancy, I love this with his relationships. I love this with his politics. I love this with everything that he does. He does not shy away from the consequences, both intended and unintended, of the actions that his characters take. Beautiful job doing that. Right, it's true. I love that. I think, I think one of the in the key things here to understand it, in the balance of what everything we're wanting out of out of a good book here, when you're setting up to have so many things go, it's it's like dominoes. Yeah, we all love the moment when you knock them over and they all fall and everything, but it takes time to set them up. And we, we're willing to go through that time. Some of it, when you're doing designs, are more interesting than others, but it's taking that time. And I appreciate that he's done that. I just don't want to spend a lot of time. I don't want to spend a ton of time living in that, in the setup phase. I want to knock down some dominoes every One now. of the weirdest yeah. scenes in V for Vendetta for me was when he knocks over the <sighs> dominoes. And I'm like, how long did that take you? Hey, you know, weren't you busy? 
Weren't you doing stuff? Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Side note. Well, that, that is one of the things, by the way, that is a mark. Uh, one of the things I think is a mark of how great Brandon Sanderson is, is through this first three sections, he has inspired more question he's he's left me wanting more i'm like oh i want to find out what happens here i want to find out what happens here i want to i want to find out this he's kept me going it's almost as if while he's setting up uh to borrow from the dominoes dominoes analogy it's almost as if he's setting up um a grand pattern and that within that grand pattern there are smaller patterns so that every now and again he knocks something over lets it play out so that you're distracted by that while he's setting other dominoes up which also then causes changes in the pattern later on down the road I know, this is I know. An Wait until analogy. book three. <laughs> <laughs> Ken, do you have anything else you want to bring up? Most of my stuff is for what's coming up in four through six. So what are you most excited about? I am most excited about seeing what the deal is with Marsh. Ooh. Oh, Marsh, I, Marsh got mysterious. Oh, man. he And kind of creepy. He got very creepy and it left me... And icky. It left me with the questions of, is he becoming a typical Inquisitor because he's... He's learned things that have, have changed him, or is this just what happens when you have a dozen spikes driven into your body, and the magic behind that? Wait until <laughs> book three. Yeah, here we go. I'm, uh, I'm going to jump onto one of my other points, being that you've brought up Marsh and that, uh, because uh, little tiny spoiler here, they're related. Um, who is God? That is another question I have. With Zane, yeah. yes. Who is God? Oh man, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm cool. excited to that find that cool. out too. Because I don't think he's as crazy as he is led to believe that he's crazy. I mean, I think he's... Say that one more time. He's clearly insane, <laughs> but I don't think he's as, as insane as we're led to believe. I don't think he's crazy for the reasons that we're being led to believe. I think there's... I, I'm excited to see more of Zane and of his... Because I, I, you know, especially as soon as he started cutting himself, I'm like, oh, I know people like this. Um, I'm not going to say I am people like this because I'm not, but I... But I, but I very much empathize with it because um, I've been in some dark places where the only way that you felt like you could Maintain shut out control. the where you could shut out all of the noise uh, wherever it comes from is by getting away from all of it in some way, shape, or form. And I know that right now um, there's a there's a huge popular part of our population that uses cutting as that tool. Uh, and as soon as I saw that, I was like, ooh, Brandon Sanderson's been doing a little bit of psychology homework, yeah, too. He, he gets it, that guy. Interesting stuff. Mm. I I can't wait. I, I know that discovering uh, – and, and so and, – and if if the discovery of who the traitor is in the midst, who the Chandra has taken over, um, has been made in at the end of book three, I'm not there yet. Um, so I'm anxious to see how that plays out, but I'm also anxious to see – how um, all of these pieces that Ellen is trying to put into place, um, I, I'm, I'm anxious to see what the ramifications are long-term because short-term is never Brandon Sanderson style. Yeah. <laughs> Until you get to the end of... Book three. Book three. I know. I know. Um, Here we go. So let's, let's jump back from the what, like level two stuff and back to Ken's level one. How cool is Farukami now? That we get to kind of see it more in action. Oh yeah, it's really great. So yeah. there, there are scenes where says it is running super duper fast and covering a lot of ground because he's saved up speed. There are scenes where he he stores up weight so that he can jump off the top of a tree or off a cliff, and he just floats down like a little feather. Um, it, what are some other things that he does? His his, his eyesight when well, he that, that, when oh, he increases yeah, sure, his sure. eyesight, and then when he 
shuts it down. He's blind temporarily. Yeah. So there are just so many cool Again, things that he can do. Consequences. And how wonderful. Yeah. That is, so like I said earlier in, in a previous cast, Alamance is awesome, but there's more. But wait, there's more. But wait. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, I love Farukami because, uh, well, because like you say, there's he has it so well thought out with the consequences. It feels real. It does. It does. And it feels, and, and it's, it's not one that leaves us. Well, and Vin's continued exploration of the other metals. Yeah. Um, I love, what is it called? Duralumen. Duralumen. That's what I call I don't know. Is that how you all pronounce it? Duralumen, yeah. Yeah. The opposite of aluminium. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah, that's. Um, I, I, I was excited I just, to see that. I keep seeing, and I keep saying to myself, "Hmm, yes, okay, but there's still got to be more." Um, so I'm anxious. Yeah, all right. Um, I, I I have a few more things I could talk about, but I think I'll save them for the next cast. Things like religion, uh, what role religion is playing in all these people's lives. Um, that I think there's enough more to come in the second half of book two that uh, we can save. That I would definitely for save that for later. Yeah, I'm excited to see what happens in, between Zane and Vin and Ellen too. I mean, this is the testimony to how great Brandon Sanderson is. He actually got me to care about relationships in a book. How about that, Ken? Ken, about, about Ken love, you have a heart about love triangles in a book. Your mutton chops would not have led me to believe. Does your you wife can. know you feel this way? <sighs> Don't tell her. Don't tell her. She'll expect way more she, out of it. She will expect flowers. All right. You Does guys, she listen uh, to the podcast? Is there anything else that we want to bring up? Any favorite quotes? Any favorite anecdotes? Well, Oh, Todd's reaching for his phone. He's got more quotes. Well, he, while Todd is looking for his quotes, um, uh, again, another question. I, I like to pose questions to the new guys a little bit here. Uh, Vin has a special ability that Kelsier did not have that no one else seems to have. In regards to being able to pierce copper clouds, what are your thoughts on that ability and where it derives from or what it is about her that allows her to do that? I think it's not Vin having the ability to do that. I think it's the, as I recall, it was, um, it, it was one of these pieces that everybody's, everybody's use of their, of their, uh, of their mistborn powers. Um, I think every mistborn and I, I could be totally wrong on this, um, but it seems like every Mistborn is born with these abilities, but they stay rooted to the easy ones because those are the ones that are useful in battle. I would imagine, because Marsh makes a, a statement about uh, the use of bronze, um, that that if you would learn to understand what bronze is all about – um, in the first book, when he was when he was talking to Vin about how to use bronze, he said, "If you understand, none of the others understand this, but if you understand it, it can be extremely valuable." And she's starting to learn this here. I think this is one of those powers that Mistborns could have if they wanted to expend the effort, but because it doesn't play into assassination or defensive assassination or anything else really, really cool, they blow it off. And so I'm, I, you know, at least that's that's how I. While Vin may be prodigious and exceptional in her manifestation of power, I don't think that it's so much that she has a power that no one else has. It's that she has tapped into an ability that others are not willing to expend the effort to tap into. Is a curiosity because she nobody has, else has because she has discovered that it's there. That that's exactly what I thought too, and I. I I said the almost the exact same thing. I, I don't discount her probably being you know more talented 
than the average Mistborn, but also she isn't. She's thinking outside the box. With and I think abilities. it's because I think it's because she's a thief. Can I throw a wrinkle in your? Oh your boy, here we go. No. Wait for book no. three. <laughs> I just want to. I want I you guys to think smart. on this. It is mentioned in the book that there are others who can do this. Well, the Lord Ruler could do it, and one other group can do it. Just oh I my word, about that. You, dude! You are just a jerk. <laughs> you are a jerk. Why do you do that? Um, yeah, we're not going to give anything else away, are we, Ryan? I'm not giving anything away. No, except the fact no, that I'm wrong. True. Okay, thank you. I just want I you to take take a little thing. I don't. The, think... the reason I bring this up is reading this. The reading this a second time, I realized the explanation has already been given, and I did not catch it the first read through. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, oh, okay, I'll buy that. I got that. All right. I think I I think I know where you're going with that, but I'm going to keep my mouth shut because I want to give my last quote. Here we go. Um, and this one was about Zane, um, where uh, it's on page 202. He says he found insanity no excuse, however, for irrational behavior. Some women were blind, others had poor temper, still others heard voices. It was all the same in the end. A man was defined not by his flaws, but how he overcame them. That's a very meritocracy kind of a thought. Um, and, and we, we refer to that. I mean, a lot of places refer to that, but really, um, I, I, I love that Brandon Sanderson inserts pieces of inspirational or motivational thought that normally we would say, Oh, that makes a really good poster, man. But he, instead he puts it in as real, uh, material that these characters as uh, that drives these characters behavior. Every, oops, sorry. Um, every, um, everybody that produces a motivational poster wants it on people's walls to drive their behavior. Brandon Sanderson does more with his writing than any motivational poster has ever done for me as far as making those things real. Cha-ching. Agreed. Um, you guys have anything So I'm going to put a big poster of Zane on my wall. I, I That's would recommend what we're really aiming it. for is finding role models in the story and we pick Zane. <laughs> that, one, that one wasn't me. <laughs> Sorry. All right, you guys. Don't, let's, don't pop me down. That was him. Yeah. Let's call it for the week unless there are any other burning desires of things to talk about. I'm, no, I'm excited burning, to see that the Lord Ruler here. might be vindicated. What's that? The, the, the Lord, Lord Ruler, Ruler might, be, might be vindicated a little bit. Vindicated. I cannot believe we're going to end this podcast <laughs> with that line. Oh, come on. Maybe Ladies and gentlemen, come back week. next week. Another, a whole nother <laughs> When week. Craig introduces us to one more bad pun. <laughs> yeah, well, all my, all, I used up all my humor by writing it down for the insults at the beginning. So, All right, you guys, let's do it. We will yeah, break for one week. And then come back for sections four through six of the Well of Ascension. Um, this is a shorter section, so I I accept no excuses. We will all be done with this yes, by fine. the end. So, um, all right, hey you guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we will talk to you all next week. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Legendarium Podcast. Make sure you take a minute to subscribe to us on iTunes and now on Stitcher Radio. Like us on Facebook and check out our fantastic website at thelegendariumpodcast.com.